0: Through to verse 20 chapter 20 verse one so starting at verse 11. god did extraordinary miracles through paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that he had touched that had touched him were taken to those who were ill and their illnesses were cured and the evil spirits left them some jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the lord jesus over those who were demon-possessed they would say, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. One day, the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I know about, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. When this became known to the Jews and the Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear. And the name of the Lord, Jesus, was held in high honor. Many of those who had believed now came and openly confessed what they had done. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. After all this had happened, Paul decided to go to Jerusalem, passing through Macedonia and Achaia. After I've been there, he said, I must visit Rome also. He sent two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, to Macedonia, while he stayed in the province of Asia a little longer. About that time, there arose a great disturbance about the way. A silversmith named Demetrius, who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought in a lot of business for the craftsmen there. He called them together, along with workers in related traders, traders, and said, you know, my friends, that we receive a good income from this business. And you see how. And you see. Sorry, I lost place. Uh, and you see how, he, down here, how this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray large numbers of people here in Ephesus, and in practicality, the whole province of Asia. He says that gods made by human hands are no gods at all. There is a danger, not only that our trade will lose its good name but also that the temple of Ar- the great goddess Artemis will be discredited and the goddess herself who is worshiped throughout the province of Asia and the world will be robbed of her divine majesty. When they heard this, they were furious and began shouting, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Soon the whole city was in uproar. The people seized Gaius and Aristarchus, Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia, and all of them rushed into the theater together. Paul wanted to appear before the crowds but the disciples would not let him even some of the officials of the province friends of paul sent him a message begging him not to venture into the theater the assembly was in confusion some were shouting one thing some another most of the people did not even know why they were there the jews in the crowd pushed alexander to the front and they shouted instructions to him he motioned for silence in order to make a defense before the people but when they realized he was a jew they all shouted in unison for about two hours. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. The city clerk whined to the crowd and said, fellow Ephesians, doesn't all the world know that the city of Ephesus is the guardian of the temple of the great Artemis and her image, which fell from heaven? Therefore, since these facts are undeniable, you ought to calm down and not do anything rash. You've brought these men here, that they have neither robbed temples nor blasphemed the goddess. Uh, the goddess. If then Demetrius and his fellow craftsmen have a grievance against anybody, the courts are open, and they' are proconsuls. They compress charges. If there is anything further you want to bring up, it must be settled in a legal assembly. As it is, we are in danger of being charged with writing, because of what happened today? In that case, we would not be able to account for this commotion, since there is no reason for it. After he said this, he dismissed the assembly. When the uproar had ended, Paul sent for the disciples, and after encouraging them, said goodbye and set out for Macedonia. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Hello. hello, um, We've been going for quite a while, so if everyone stands up quickly and just shake yourselves out and keep us awake uh, for this next kind of 20 minutes or so. You're allowed to sit back down after you, sorry. I realised in church you all have to stand up and sit down at the same time. Um, am I on? Oh, I've got to take this off. Great. Um, oh, hello. Great. Um, so as already been said, my name um, is Connor. I used to work for the church, but now I work for um, a Christian charity, UCCF, working with students in London. Um, and it is my pleasure pleasure to uh, speak today. We're finishing off a, a little mini-series um, we did do the letter to the Ephesians um, over the kind of past couple of months. And we've, we're kind of going back in time and we're doing the prequel. And we're seeing um, what happens when the gospel first came to Ephesus in Acts. Um, and last week we saw it kind of more individuals. We saw all these individuals and situations were lacking. And, and God in his grace came in and worked. But now we're going to see today what the gospel, what God's power does to a culture. Um, I think we probably need God's help to, to understand his word, but also to stay awake. So let me pray now. Father, thank you so much for your words. Thank you that uh, today you are speaking to us. So Father, please do that today. Speak to us. May we see the glory of your gospel, your power at work. Amen. Amen. Um, something that I think is uh, well, it's a little bit sad, but also kind of uh, funny, um, is when the news covers kind of big Christian events. So we had Easter a couple of weeks ago. Um, and it's almost like, I was watching the BBC News on Easter Sunday, it's almost like they are trying to say all they can about Easter without actually talking about Easter. So you don't have any, any mention um, of God coming and uh, in the person of Jesus dying and rising again. And what that might mean, no, instead, they find every story that can highlight cute, quaint Christianity. Do everything they can to, um, to not actually talk about the message, not actually talk about Easter. So on Easter Sunday, this, this uh, past Easter, uh, there was a beautiful 10-minute section on the flowers at Canterbury Cathedral. And don't get me wrong, the flowers were beautiful. They were great. But you get this sense um, of what is going on. No, Christianity it can be cute. It can, it can be quaint. But actually, no, the, the real message, that's got to stay private. Christianity can be cute, it can be quaint, but it has to stay private. I get this all the time. You might have, some of you may have had this. So I work for a Christian charity, right? And I often talk to people at the park or whatever. Um, and we get to the conversation, oh, what do you do? And I say, oh, I work for a Christian charity. And they say, oh, that's nice. And that's where the conversation ends. Or, or you might have had the experience talking about church. What did you get up to the weekend? Oh, I went to church. Oh, that must be lovely to have a community like that. As they slowly walk away and, and the conversation ends. Why? Because Christianity can be cute. It can be quaint. But it has to stay private. And I think if we're honest, when this kind of push, we get that push every day, it starts to be what we expect. Maybe if we're really honest, it starts to be what we want. We start to think, well, the gospel actually doesn't do much today. We don't expect it to do much today. We don't want to cause a stir and in fact uh, many churches and many churches you you feel this push to become a cute quaint christian a cute quaint christian who doesn't really talk about what's actually going on in their life who doesn't talk about something that might be shameful no at lots of places in lots of times there is this push just to be cute and if that's what you think Christianity should be, what is the worst thing that could possibly happen is if someone got angry at you. If someone hated what you believed, well, that would be terrifying. We have this push. Christianity should be cute. It should be quaint. And it should be private. But in Acts 19, man, it all kicks off. It is completely mental. It's a mental chapter. And we see the gospel is certainly not cute. It is certainly not quaint. And it is certainly not private. In fact, it's kind of explosive. It's life-changing. And it's very, very public. Let me say, um, I really don't think this chapter is a kind of how-to guide on how to do evangelism, how to become an explosive, life-changing Christian in public. I don't think it's that at all. In fact, if you were listening to it, uh, you would have heard that, that the Christians in this chapter, they don't really do loads of stuff. See, uh, this is the longest kind of... Um, example in acts of the gospel at work in a country um, in a city and Paul doesn't get a speech in fact in the biggest story in this chapter he is sent away to the side I don't think this is written as a here's all the things that you need to do to be an effective Christian in public no this is an exaltation of God's power of what God does. Of, of what the gospel does in a culture and how people respond to it. So today, what I want us to do is not think, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have loads of things that I'm going to do. But sit back and witness God's power at work and how people respond to it. And we'll see, it's not cute. <laughs> it's not quaint. And it's not private. So that first little heading, in the face of God's power. And you might have been surprised when you read this. Let's read chapter, um, little verse 11 again. God did extraordinary miracles through Paul. So that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and evil spirits left them. Wow, that's weird, isn't it? It's really weird. Um, these kind of hanky-chiefs, these um, aprons, they are probably Paul's sweat rags. He spent the time in the morning being um, a tent maker. And these were kind of the throwaway things that he, he kind of used to mop up his sweat. And God is using sweat rags to heal people. It's really weird and I think we need to give the Bible credit. The Bible knows when it says something really weird. So, so Luke writes, God did extraordinary miracles. <laughs> it knows this is weird. So the question is, why is it giving, it giving it to us? Why are we told this such weird thing? And I think it's because it really kicks off this theme. It really kicks it off. We have this explosion of power, this explosion of, of God at work. But it's surprising. It's weird. It's different. And in fact, I think it's quite gospely. It's helpful to know a little bit about Ephesus. So Ephesus was a culture that absolutely loved power. In fact, it's a culture that loved visible power. You kind of get a flavor of this in the, kind of the rest of Acts 19. We see in our passage you have uh, exorcists who, who want to be powerful. They use the name of Jesus to want to kind of have power over demons. You have Christians that, that burn their scrolls of sorcery, presumably a previous source of power. Demetrius makes silver shines to the great Artemis, making him and the goddess rich and powerful. The goddess Artemis uh, in ancient Greece was a goddess of power. She was often depicted with a kind of bow in her hand. She had power over animals and spirits. The temple of Artemis was absolutely massive. It looked Powerful. It was four times bigger than the Pantheon, twice the size of... I've forgotten the name. What's the president in America? The White House. Twice the size of the White House. It was one of the seven wonders of the world. In fact, the guy who invented this kind of idea of seven wonders of the world, of Sidon, said this. I have set eyes on the, lofty, the wall of lofty Babylon on which is a road for chariots and the statue of Zeus by Alpheus and the hanging gardens and the colossus of the sun and the huge labor of the high pyramids, the vast tomb of molasses. But when I saw the house of Artemis that mounted to the clouds, those other marvels lost their brilliancy. I said, lo, Apart from Olympus, the sun never looked nor naught so grand. Ephesus is powerful. So it's interesting. Imagine you are an Ephesian and you're sick. You wake up one day and the temple of Artemis is looming over you. But you think, no, I'm, I'm not going to go there because I've heard where the, the real power is. In this tent maker with his sweat racks. Do you see what, what God is doing here? Do you see the, 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 the pattern of, of what is being achieved? No, the real God, when he's at work, he doesn't need temples. He doesn't need silver shrines. He doesn't need all the things that look powerful no, this God, the real God, works in the nothings, in the jars of clay, in the sweat rags. Witness God's power at work in Ephesus. It's not cute, it's not quaint, it's not private. And this is absolutely not promised to, to kind of happen again like this. Relics kind of aren't necessarily, well, they're not a thing in the Bible. And I think if you do, you kind of miss the point, right? If you think the power is in the sweat rag or St. Cuthbert's finger or whatever else, then you've missed it. No, God is the one who uses the nothings to show his power. And thank goodness that is God's pattern, right? Thanks goodness that is the way that God works. Thank goodness it's the same for us. Us, nothings. But how do people respond to this uh, power? What happens? Well, we're going to hit our second heading. Some people try to abuse it. They try to use the power, but are publicly exposed. This is quite a funny story, really. You see, there's some Jewish exorcists, and they call themselves the Seven Sons of Sceva. Great band name. And they, they think the power... That the power that's going on in Ephesus, well, it's all about this incantation. It's about saying the name of Jesus. So they try to use Jesus' name as an incantation. And I want to say they have got something a little bit right. See, they know the gospel's not cute or quaint. But their thing is they want the power for themselves. <laughs> And what happens verse 15? One day, the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, Paul I know about, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them, overpowered them all, gave them such a beating that they ran out the house naked and bleeding. They were literally exposed. And this is what happens, right? To people who try and steal power for themselves, steal God's power from, for themselves, they're exposed. You might think, oh no, this is a kind of a PR disaster for God in Ephesus. This is an absolute disaster. But look at what really happens. Verse 17 when this became known to Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear, and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. Oh, no, 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 no. Some people trying to steal the name of Jesus to make themselves powerful. No, that's not going to stop the gospel going out. And look, this has happened again and again in history. Um, I came across this just amazing little story. The story of Emperor Julian, or I like to call him King Julian. Um, he was the Roman emperor in, in the year 361 AD. And he became Roman emperor, emperor but he hated Christians. He absolutely despised them. Christianity had become the religion of the empire a couple of emperors before him, but he wanted to switch it back. He wanted to go back to Roman pagan tradition. But here's the thing he knew there was a surprising power in Christianity. It didn't look impressive, but it just kept on growing. And he knew that persecution wouldn't work. The emperors of the past had tried persecution but Christianity just kept on growing. So he decided, no, I'm going to try and figure out what makes Christianity so powerful, and I'm going to copy that. His idea, what he thought made Christianity so powerful, was how Christians were so charitable. He said this about Christians. These impious Galileans, they not only feed their own poor, but ours also welcoming them into their love feast, that was his word for communion. They attracted them as children are attracted with cakes. See, Emperor Julian thought the power was in charity. So he tries to set up the Roman philanthropic system mediated by pagan priests, and it totally and utterly failed, it didn't work. The priests didn't actually do their job. They didn't actually care about the people. And it was exposed as, as this absolute mess because the power of Christianity is not in the fact that Christians do charity. No, the power is in the gospel. It is in God coming down and dying for Christians. And you know what? that makes them very charitable. It makes them love people in a way that cannot be replicated, that cannot be stolen. And that false religion was exposed. And the same is happening today. I guess we'll all know there are lots of people today who claim the name of Jesus for their kind of own power their own glory and it, we might be tempted to freak out this is a PR disaster but oh no 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 this doesn't stop the gospel see false powers are exposed witness God's power at work in Ephesus it's not cute it's not quaint it's not private what does this this lead to? Well, some people believe and publicly confess. Look at verse 18 with me. Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed what they had done. A number who practised sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scroll, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. Apparently, that's three to six million pounds. And in this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. So presumably, in Ephesus, you had a whole group of Christians, uh, of people who became Christians, but had previously been caught up in like Ephesian power culture. And what they had done, presumably, is they, they had kept back some of their kind of most valuable scrolls, their sorcery scrolls, and they had put them kind of in the closet. We don't necessarily know why. Maybe it's because they were ashamed of the life that they had previously been involved in. Maybe it was some kind of insurance policy. If Christianity doesn't work out, well, I've still got that, that valuable scroll in the back, in the closet. But you see, these Christians who had kind of something hidden away in their closet, they see the power of God at work. And they think, sack off keeping my scroll in the closet. Sack that off. So they bring it out, and it's costly and it's public, but they burn it all. They witness the power of God. And interestingly, that just makes everything grow more. It's interesting, isn't it? God seems to use the things that we find most shameful, the things that we're embarrassed of, the things that we, we keep in our closet to show his power. See, Christians... They don't need to be people that are cute and quaint and private. No, Christians, they can tell the world how broken, how sinful, how messed up they are, all their history. Why? Because God's power is bigger than all of that. I recently came across a um, a kind of Christian YouTuber who, well, no, she wasn't a Christian YouTuber. A YouTuber slash Instagram, well, she was an Instagram bum model, really. There's no other way of putting it. And she was a, a vlogger. And what happened is that kind of as she was vlogging, she, she got to know about Christianity. And you kind of see her videos uh, where she introduced things. So there's a video, I've stopped sleeping with my boyfriend. And, and you kind of see this, this journey go on. And eventually she, she became a Christian um, and her life changed. And her YouTube channel changed, right? But interestingly, she talks about this, she didn't go back and delete all her old videos. Even though there's, there's things now that are in them that she is ashamed of. She doesn't go back and delete them because they're evidence of God's power at work in her. In fact, she even made a video about all the things that were going on in her life back then that she felt like she had to keep secret. See, as part of being an Instagram model, she got caught up in a world and eventually started having sex for money. Didn't want to tell everyone, was ashamed of it, was in the closet. But now because she's a Christian... Now she's seen God's power at work. She knows what it is like to be forgiven. Well, the things in the closet, they can come out and be in public. And she's very open about it. That confession has been the most effective thing for her witness in all of her time on YouTube. Christianity isn't cute, <laughs> it's not quaint, and it's not private. Finally, in the face of, of God's power at work, we see that some people hate it and publicly riot. And before anyone says anything, yes, I know you can't privately riot, or at least it would be silly, but it just fitted the whole system. So we're sticking with publicly riot. See, Paul plans to, to leave Ephesus and go through Macedonia in verse 21. But he decides to stay a little while longer. And while he is there, a great disturbance arises. Because the gospel is so powerful, is so at work in Ephesus, that the economy starts getting messed up. Demetrius, this silversmith, is starting to lose all his kind of customers for all the shrines he was making to the great goddess Artemis. Look, we'll pick up the story in verse 25. So he calls together all the tradesmen and he says to them, you know, my friends, that we receive a good income from this business. And see and hear how this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray large numbers of people here in Ephesus and practically the whole province of Asia. He says that gods made by human hands are not gods at all. He happens to be right. There is a danger not only that our trade will lose its good name, but also the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be discredited. And the goddess herself, who is worshipped throughout the province of Asia and the world, will be robbed of her divine Majesty. See, when the gospel, when God's power is at work in a culture, things change. And I guess what this story is, is here to do, what it's meant to show us, well, it's two things. It's expect the gospel to change culture and then expect people to hate it. Because people get angry when their gods are under threat. It's a little bit hard to tell uh, what kind of, what god is more important to Demetrius. Is it the god of money or is it actually uh, the great goddess Artemis? He definitely talks about money first. But here's the thing, I'm sure many of us would have experienced something a bit like this. When the, the God of work is threatened by the fact that you won't stay late because you want to get to connect group. So you start hearing the rumblings of gossip behind you. The kind of cultural uh, God of sex. People get angry when that is challenged. When we say things like sex is the best place for sex is in marriage and you start hearing the rumblings behind you oh he's a bigot she's a bigot for what they believe people get angry when we threaten the worship of their god the scene carries on i can't actually see the verse twenty-eight. When they heard this, they were furious and began shouting, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! Soon the whole city was in uproar. People seized Gaius and Aristarchus, Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia, and all of them rushed into the theater together. Paul wanted to appear before the crowd, but the disciples would not let him. <clears throat> Some of the officials of the province, friends of Paul, sent him a message begging him not to venture into the theater. Look, it's interesting Paul is stopped. He's, he's, he's stopped from going in and talking to the mob, talking to the riots. It's interesting, in, in other cities where this has also happened, Paul does get the opportunity to speak in front of them. So maybe it's a wisdom thing. I think it's definitely true. Sometimes it's right to talk to the mob, and sometimes it is better to stay silent. But the verse 32, I think, is amazing. I think it's Basically, just a description of Twitter. Verse 32, the assembly was in confusion. Some were shouting one thing, some another. Most of the people didn't even know why they were there. And just like the Twitter mob, they kind of get confused about who they're canceling that day. So a Jew named Alexander stands up. He's not even a Christian, but they shout at him, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians, and they don't let him talk. See, what does Demetrius want? What is this riot all about? Well, he wants Christianity to just stay in its corner. Stay cute. You can be quaint, but stay private. Don't let it mess up what we do. But what happens in the end? The city clerk stands up, and he stands in front of everyone. And in verse 37, he says, you have brought these men here. Though they, they have neither robbed temples nor blasphemed our goddess. And he's, he's kind of right, isn't he? See, Paul's preaching. Paul is not going around stealing from the temple. He's not a thief. He's not, he's not breaking the law. But what he preaches, the gospel he preaches, God's power at work, well, that changes things. Christians don't do illegal things, but the, the things that they preach change things. Verse 38, let's finish this little story. If then Demetrius and his fellow craftsmen have a grievance against anybody, the courts are open and there are proconsuls They can press charges. If there is anything further you want to bring up, it must be settled in the legal assembly. As it is, we are in danger of being charged with rioting because of what happened today. And in that case, we would not be able to account for this commotion since there is no reason for it. After this, after he said this, he dismissed the assembly. See, some people hate the gospel and they will publicly riot. But in the end, it comes to Nothing. And I love the beginning of chapter 20. When the uproar had ended, Paul sent for the disciples, and after encouragement, he said goodbye and sent out for Dacidonia. He went back to the original plan. See, some people will hate the gospel. They will publicly riot because they hate what the gospel is doing in culture. But that doesn't stop the plan. No, we, we carry on. People might hate us, but we carry on doing what we do. We love people. We tell them about Jesus. We're not curtailed into treating the gospel like it's cute, quaint, and private. No, the gospel is the power of God. It is explosive, and we trust it will work. And again, this has happened again and again in history. We can we can walk five minutes up to uh, Holy Trinity Clapham, um, and in Holy Trinity Clapham there was like what well, was essentially a connect group, a small group uh, kind of Bible study, and it had a couple of members, one of which is very famous, William Wilberforce. See, they kind of met and they, they kind of read the Bible and it struck them so much that, that as they looked around them and as they, they saw culture, they knew that even though everyone accepted slavery as the standard, that it just wasn't acceptable. So they began to trust the gospel's power at work in culture. They began speaking and preaching when they could. And guess what? People hated them for it. Absolutely hated them for it. It turns out that, that two-thirds of the MPs at the time when William Wilberforce was speaking had some kind of investment in the slave trade. Everyone hated him for what the gospel was doing. But they kept on with the plan. They kept on trusting the gospel's power to change things. And years later, the slave trade was abolished. They didn't let people tell them that the gospel was cute, quaint, and private. No, they trusted that the gospel is God's power at work. So God's power has been at work in Ephesus. It has been at work throughout history, and it is at work today. So I guess what Acts 19 is saying to all of us is don't treat the gospel like it's cute. Don't do it. It's not. Don't treat it like it's quaint. It's not. Don't treat it like it's private. It's not. Don't be surprised when people try to abuse it and use it. Don't be surprised when, when other people, when Christians come and confess their sin, we're messed up. Don't be surprised when people hate us for what we believe. But let's carry on. Carry on witness, carry on trusting that the gospel is God's power. So we carry on with the plan. Let me pray. Father, thank you so much that the gospel is powerful. Thank you so much that it is powerful in, in not the way that we ex- expect. Thank you that you do not need temples. You don't even need church buildings. Father, thank you that you are at work and please help us to witness it to trust that you are at work. Father, do that in us today. Amen.